This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper, an online retailer of premium mattresses for a fraction of the price, because everyone deserves a great night's sleep. Get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com fool and enter promo code fool. It's Tuesday, June 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Simon Erickson. Simon, good to have you. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. I never have you in studio these days. I miss you, man. Always a pleasure. Always fun. Uh, we've got a lot of fun things to talk about today, including the future of AI and if Lululemon has a ghost on its board of directors. But we begin with Netflix. Now, in May of 2014, Netflix increased the cost of a subscription from $7.99 a month to $8.99 a month for for new subscribers, and then it boosted it again to $9.99 a month last October. But a lot of the streaming video service's oldest subscribers were grandfathered in, Simon. They had that $7.99 locked and loaded, and that's all they paid per month. Now, Netflix is saying it's going to start increasing those costs for those grandfathered members, bringing them from $7.99 to $9.99 by the end of the year. Uh, and some people are freaking out about it. Some people are, are pretty okay with it. In fact, we were talking about the headlines uh, earlier. Uh, one headline we have from Market Watch is that Netflix could lose hundreds of thousands of subscribers with price hike. And the other and uh, the other headline that I liked from Business Insider said Netflix could make an extra five hundred twenty million dollars <laughs> per year because of price hike. Uh, what's the real story here? Which should we be paying attention to? Well, the headlines you mentioned kind of crack me up, Mark, because they sound so. Dumb. Right? right, losing hundreds of thousands of subscribers. This is the end of the world for Netflix. It's not the end of the world for Netflix. This is a business decision of basically price versus volume. Mm. Uh, keep in mind that Netflix has got about 27 million U.S. subscribers. They've got over 80 million global subscribers. Mm-hmm. So even if they were to lose maybe 500,000 uh, subscribers from a from a one or two dollar a month price hike, uh, this is not going to be the end of the world for them. Um, Keep in mind too, you know, the business of Netflix is subscription based. So anytime you can get price on top of that, it's okay. It's it's not going to be the end of the world for them if they lose a couple hundred thousand subscribers. Absolutely. So the real story here is that a Nomura analyst uh, actually gave us a number of how many subscribers we should expect Netflix to lose. It's about four hundred eighty thousand. Which, as you said, in the in the grand scheme of things, Netflix has twenty seven million subscribers in the U.S. alone, more than eighty million, something like that, in worldwide. Four hundred eighty thousand. It's not a small number, but it is kind of in the grand scheme of things, and it might be wrong too. We might have less. We might have more. Uh, but again, I- I'm not too worried with this price hike. It's not affecting everybody. It's really only affecting the longtime members, which you might presume are going to be the most loyal members, even with a price hike. That's definitely right. And let's take a step back too and look at why Netflix is doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because content is still king, right. and content is getting more expensive for Netflix, and they have to pay for it basically up front and then monetize that over these. these Years of, of subscriptions of happy members that they have. Mm-hmm. Um, and Netflix said they were going to pay about $6 billion in 2016 for content assets. That's what you're watching from unlimited streaming or on the DVDs, um, which is a lot of money. Sure. Uh, HBO spends about $2 billion a year. So it's three times what one of the most established um, networks in the, in the business is doing. $1 billion on that last episode of Game of Thrones, which, <laughs> holy mama. Have you, did you, do you watch Game I of Thrones? I am fully up to date. All right, on Game good. Of We're not going to, no spoilers no here. No spoilers. I'm sorry, continue. But, oh my God. Watch the show. Episode. Fantastic, Woo! right? Okay. Uh, but Netflix refuses to advertise and mm. they refuse to sell off their content to others. They, they use it exclusively for their own, their own purposes. Um, so when you do that, you have to get all of your revenue from subscriptions. That's why they're increasing, increasing the price. So they can get good content and create good content too. 
Honestly, I'll take just about any price increase as long as I don't have to watch ads. I've got <laughs> Netflix and I've got Hulu, and Hulu's great, but man, those ads, they kill you. Um, now, Netflix at $9.99 a month, that's priced pretty competitively for, you know, for instance, Hulu is also about $9.99 a month. Uh, at what point do we reach a ceiling here? Because uh, they're not raising the price for all of their members, but conceivably in the future, if the uh, costs of uh, finding new content and expanding to new markets continues to grow, it's conceivable that Netflix would have to increase its price across the board for everybody. At what point do they hit a ceiling? Is it $15, $20 a month? Oh, what do you think? Well, We're speculating pay, wildly, would, by the would way. Would you pay $15 or $20 for a Netflix subscription a month? I would pay $15. $20, I'd have to hesitate. I'd have to start looking around. But the content on Netflix is pretty great. And again, not having to watch ads, I cannot stress enough how much I don't want to watch ads. I don't have cable. Mainly so I don't have to watch ads. I just I prefer Netflix uh, over the rest. Uh, again, fifteen dollars is probably too much, but I'd still suffer through it. Uh, speculating wildly, Simon, where would where would you land on well, that? Well, I, I'd be fine with fifteen dollars. Okay, we use Netflix all the time in our family, and just like your point. Um, 27 million U.S. subscribers. Mm-hmm. If you get an extra five dollars out of every one of them every month, it's a hundred million dollars every month that you're getting. Goes right to the top line, falls quickly to the uh, to the bottom line too. So, I, I think that they've still got room to run on this. Um, keep in mind the the media is different for Netflix than it is for the for the old guard mm. of, of of networks. Um, they're using the internet instead of the television, and so. Wait. The, what? No, <laughs> I can't stress how important that is, though, to get that real-time information about what people are watching. Reed Hastings does a fantastic job mm. of every time somebody pulls up a show on Netflix, he can instantaneously uh, use that to make better decisions about what kind of content he either wants to make or he wants to buy. And that's why Netflix has done so well. They really control the return on investment of new shows, and they're going to continue doing that in the future. So, long story short, what's an investor to do about this news from Netflix? Are you worried at all about less than half a million subscribers potentially leaving? I think the bigger concern is not is not a couple hundred thousand subscribers leaving, but we don't really know what content costs look like mm. in the future. HBO's content cost budget went up twenty percent year over year, and and Netflix is is increasing now to the six billion dollar a year kind of range. So we. As investors, we can't completely know what those deals look like, what they're going to be on the hook for for content. I think that's a big question mark, not that they're raising the price $2 a month. Okay. Uh, let's talk about artificial intelligence. And, and when I say AI, I'm not referring to Terminators or iRobot <laughs> or anything doomsday like that. It's actually uh, much more straightforward than that. We're talking more about chatbots and Siri and machine learning. And machine learning, Simon, is one of those you know, phrases that are thrown around a lot in the tech industry. We certainly saw it a lot over these last few weeks. For instance, over at Apple's developer conference last week, they talked a lot about Siri and a lot about AI. Um, let's start at the top. Let's start with a, a broader definition here. When we say machine learning or deep learning, what does that even mean, and why do companies care? Well, let's actually start with AI because machine learning is a segment of artificial intelligence. Yeah, um, I'm learning is- already. <laughs> Machine learning. There it is. <laughs> um, at, at the 10,000 foot level, this is t- computers making decisions better. Hmm. Um, search engines were the, were the easiest examples of this. If you went into Google, the very, very first time you ever used Google, and you typed in Apple, and you get the first result is a picture of an apple, it thinks mm-hmm. you're a farmer. Mm-hmm. And then the second result is uh, a lower priority result is Apple the company, and you click on that one. It's going to learn over time, you're probably interested in Apple the company, not Apple the fruit. Sure. And so it's going to it's going to prioritize those as an algorithm that, that optimizes over time. The interesting thing is the algorithms are getting more and more complex, and they're doing 
cooler and cooler things. Uh, you mentioned Siri, which is now a voice assistant that can help you find information. Um, Alexa, you know, the Amazon Echo now is able to actually search the internet for you based off of vocal recognition. So it's getting to be cooler and cooler, and the information is becoming more and more optimized. Uh, which is getting really interesting in the AI and machine learning information age. You know, it's funny, you mention Alexa and Siri by name, and I think that's easier for us to define what AI is, because we can give it a name. But AI is also, and machine learning is also, uh, what Twitter is doing, for instance. They just uh, acquired, what was it, Magic Pony Technology, yes. uh, which is a great company what a name. name. Right? Oh my God, if I found my own company, it's Magic Pony Technology. We've also got, uh, what was it, Amazon brought on a Carnegie Mellon professor uh, who is an expert in artificial intelligence. Uh, they don't have Alexas. They don't, well, I mean, Amazon does, but you know, there's no, there's no Siri over at Twitter. What is a company like Twitter uh, interested in machine learning about? Well, they said that they wanted to decipher for images. So, and I quote, people can more easily find new experiences to share and participate in. Mm -hmm. So, it's a lot of image recognition, trying to figure out, okay, what are you wanting to do? How are you wanting to share this over Twitter's platform? And that's exactly the same kind of things that you're seeing all of these companies use AI to to build upon their existing business they already have in place. Uh, You mentioned Amazon. You know, Amazon is is e-commerce, trying to get Alexa to to drive more purchases in an e-commerce way, uh, which could be interesting, too, if just recurring purchases done through Alexa rather than through the website. Mm -hmm. Um, We've seen Facebook investing heavily in AI in the last couple of years. It's actually on their roadmap as one of their highest priority projects for the next five years, because they want to derive knowledge from the data that you're supplying to this Facebook platform to make better decisions off of it. Mm -hmm. And then the interesting one to me, Mark, is actually Google. Google is the masters of information out there. Um, for years has been a search engine company. And then they go out and they acquire a company called DeepMind in 2014. We don't know what this company does. There's this shroud of secrecy that, that surrounds this for years. And then they go out and they actually beat the world champions in the game Go. Right. Which has you know, always been kind of historically <laughs> infinite possibilities. It's, oh, it's the chess of yeah, chess. You know, right? This isn't just Watson winning at Jeopardy or something like that. This is a very complex game. Mm-hmm. Um, and now Google is now open sourcing a software library called TensorFlow to make sense of tasks and more optimized through, through machine learning and stuff like this. So, I mean, the bottom line in this is we're in a world of, of algorithms, and the machines are getting smarter at deciphering those, and that can really be useful to society in a bunch of ways. Um, one of those ways is just in assisting, mm-hmm. like like the Siri Alexa kind of kind of thing, and that can be useful for even things like surgeons and and jobs that people still want people doing, but they want to be helped by by computers that are very smart. Sure. Um, saw an interesting statistic in Kleiner Perkins' Internet Trends Report. There were at about 95% speech recognition today. Hmm. About 1 in tw- 20 commands that you speak into a vocal recognition is understood, and the other 5% Alexa says, I didn't understand what you're talking about. If you get that to 99%, that's a game changer. Right. The input can be a, a different media than just typing in on a desktop computer. And then the other thing that's really interesting is going to be fully autonomous decision-making. Um, this is in, in applications where safety is really, really important. They looked at, at the airline industry years ago, and when they actually implemented autopilot features, the number of airplane crashes went down dramatically. Hmm. And you're starting to see the same thing where safety is concerned. Self-driving cars um, can break and, and adjust the angle that you would hit an object much more efficiently than a human being could do in a split second like that. And stuff like that, where safety is paramount, is going to be really interesting for, for autonomous vehicles, too. 
You know, we've talked about Apple, Twitter, Facebook, Google. How come we didn't mention Microsoft and their racist chatbots <laughs> that they put up on Twitter the oh, other day? Oh, goodness. Clearly, there are still some flaws in AI and deep learning here. So, I guess my question is, who's at the forefront? Uh, if I'm an investor and I'm interested in AI, deep learning, which really, again, seems like it's this next big industry uh, that all of the tech titans are focusing on right now, so clearly, uh, it should be of some interest to investors, at least. Uh, who am I looking at right now? There's two companies that I really like right now. Uh, the first is NVIDIA, who's made an uh, entire business in the history of their, of their operations has been in graphics processors. They are displaying um, objects that are realistic and in 3D and in color on computer screens um, based off of, of algorithms in the background that are running that stuff. Mm -hmm. So now they're actually completely 180, flipping that equation, where they're trying to decipher everything that's in 3D and all of these colors, and then use that in algorithms to make sense of it. Right. Hence the, the self-driving car example. You see a stop sign, what do I do at a stop sign? You see something jump out, what am I supposed to do with this? And that brings us back to square one, Mark, where we were talking about machine learning. Machine learning uses things like neural networks and making sense of what you're seeing mm -hmm. uh, to make a decision programmed into an algorithm. So I really like NVIDIA, first company for that. Okay. Um, second company you might have heard of is called Tesla. I have heard of that Tesla one, yeah. Motors. Now, now Tesla has got uh, 800 million miles of driving data that they've collected, and they're using it to recognize things out there and to respond to things. And when you couple that with a brilliant, visionary leader like Elon Musk, sure. um, this is a company that's really going places that may or may not just be selling cars in the future. I think I think Tesla's got a huge future ahead of it. Yeah, submersible cars. Didn't you read that story? Uh, they're so well-sealed, you can drive a Tesla underwater. Or fly, how about flying cars? That's it's the way of the future. Um, okay, well, uh, I guess my question then is, uh, who who uh, are you ever going to drive a self-driving car, Simon? Are you are you going to trust AI, I guess, is the real question here. Do we have to do we have to worry about a Terminator situation anytime soon? Gosh, you know, I would get in a self-driving car as soon as it's commercially available and it's passed all the tests and, and regulations. Yeah, put me put me in there, man. Sure, it's the way of the future. Uh, Especially okay. driving around this part of town. Yeah, it's just Washington, D.C., <laughs> terrible drivers out Everyone here. Everyone should have a self-driving Everyone's car. staring at the monuments and not staring at the bumper-to-bumper the -bumper traffic. Um, all right, well, before we get to our last story here, uh, we should mention that this episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Casper. Uh, Casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing those savings directly to the consumer. Uh, you can actually buy Casper mattresses online, completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and painless returns within a 100-day period, so you don't have to lie down in a showroom, which, to me, Simon, is the most awkward part of buying a mattress. I agree. When you're just lying down in front of a salesperson in some sunny showroom uh, out in the middle of a strip mall, and they're looking at you weird because your sleeping position has been described by scientists as vulture-esque, and there's no, no real way to fix it, despite how great Casper's mattresses are, and as obsessively engineered as they are at a very fair price. You can actually get a Casper twin mattress for $500, or a king-sized mattress for $900. $150, which is a pretty good deal. It's definitely better than what I did in college, which was to t duct tape two twin mattresses together Terrible. and have my own king size bed. Oh, I was the coolest kid in the dorm. It was fantastic. I believe that. I'm sure. Uh, so you can save an additional $50 towards a mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash fool and entering the promo code fool. That's casper.com slash fool and promo code F O O L. Terms and conditions apply. So uh, let's wrap up with. 
what is easily my favorite story of 2016, Simon. We're about halfway through 2016, uh, and I'd be surprised if another story came along that made me as thrilled as this one is. See, a few weeks ago, Lululemon's founder, Chip Wilson, who has been known to say some interesting things in front of the media, wrote an open letter to shareholders claiming that the company has lost its way and that in a large uh, a large part of that is due to board entrenchment. In other, ter- in other words, uh, long-time board members aren't letting Chip Wilson do what he needs to do to run the company well. So, a reporter for The Street said, hey, let's talk to these board members and see what they had to say. And she wanted to start with uh, the longest tenured uh, board members, uh, the longest of whom is Rhoda Pitcher. Uh, she's been on the board of Lululemon for about 10 years. But the problem, Simon, is she's very difficult to get a hold of. As a matter of fact, the consulting agency that she founded, Rhoda Pitcher founded, uh, doesn't have a website. Uh, the university from which she graduated, or excuse me, that from which she received her master's degree isn't accredited, and its residence, uh, its address is a residence at somebody's home. Um, there's very little information about Rhoda Pitcher available on the internet. Uh, it's more and more seeming like there is no such person as Rhoda Pitcher. This is this is incredible to me. Is there a fake board member over at Lululemon? And if so, this has to be fraud of the highest caliber. This is insane, right? This There's no crazy. way this is true. This has got to be the craziest story I've ever talked about on Market Foolery. Before. Right. I couldn't find her. I couldn't find her on Google. I no couldn't find could. a picture on LinkedIn, anything like that. Right. I guess we got to get the machines and the artificial intelligence trying to do the search for <laughs> us. For, for the search. They'll track her down. It's the beginning of the end. Yeah, but like everything you said, I mean, you know, she's she she received two hundred seventeen thousand dollars of compensation last year. Right. Ten billion dollar company, most tenured board member that they have. We can't even find her on a Google search out there. She is the, she is the longest tenure member of a public company. We should be able to talk to her, but no one seems able to. Uh, Lululemon won't comment. Chit Wilson won't comment. Former CEO Christina Day won't comment. No one has anything to say. Her consulting firm, by the way, is a real thing. Rhoda M. Pitcher, Inc. Uh, that is confirmed to exist. It's registered by Aguiar Group in Washington. Uh, Aguiar wouldn't comment on it. No one Shocking. wants to talk about Rhoda Pitcher. Again, Simon, there's no way she's not real. Because if she's not real, she's the longest tenured member of the board at Lululemon. Someone made her up. Someone's taking payoffs. Someone's got to go to jail for this, right? Well, even if she is real, it seems like the actions she's been taking on the board are fake, or at least ghostly. (laughs) Okay. Um, In addition to being on the board, she's also the chairman of of the uh, the compensation committee. I'm sorry, she's a member of the compensation committee for, mm-hmm. for Lululemon, mm-hmm. uh, which basically spells out executive compensation, make sure that, that Lululemon's getting paid for the right things. And you look at some of those metrics, if we if we can expand this a little bit to corporate governance at Lululemon, um, it's been a disaster in the mm-hmm. last couple of years, too. Uh, the, the metrics that executives at Lululemon are, are getting paid on um, are revenue, gross margin, and operating margin. And if you've been keeping track of those. Uh, Lululemon's gross margin has fallen from 58% to 48% in the last four years. Right. Operating income has dropped from 29% to 17% in the same time frame. And then revenue has not been keeping pace with several other retailers out there. So, CEO Laurent, Laurent Potdevin, you know, he got $4 million of, of stock and, and options last year. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't get the cash bonus, but still, you look at the corporate governance of stuff like this. Are, are they hitting the right metrics? And is Rhoda 
you know, are, are a member of the compensation committee actually rewarding the right behavior you want to see as shareholders. Right. If you're a shareholder of Lululemon, you sure as hell want Chip Wilson to roll out Rota Pitcher at the next shareholder meeting or at the next uh, quarterly conference call. Uh, there's no way she's not present, right? Unless she's not real. Sure, you know, there may be some reason she can't be reached right now. Maybe there's something going on. Completely understandable. But you've got to make a statement if you're Chip Wilson or, or, or the, uh, the PR people over at Lululemon. You've, you've got to produce Rota Pitcher at this point. There are questions from us, the street, Business Insider. There was a segment on CNBC the other day about this. We need to see Rhoda. Yes, <laughs> we do need to see Rhoda. In addition to that, I mean, this is this is on shareholders too. I mean, 2005, I think Rhoda Pitcher was was initially on the board. Right, sure. she's been there for Ten over years. a decade yeah. now. Um, as shareholders, I, I disclaimer: I am not a Lululemon shareholder, but shareholders get out and vote for your shares. <laughs> right. I mean, every year shareholders vote on the board of directors and the proxy statement. That's the DEF uh, 14A document, mm-hmm. the definitive proxy statement. And you can vote for the board of directors who you want to be on that board. And you can vote uh, if you really don't like the compensation plan too. So, so get out there and vote for your shares. Um, goodness, at least vote for someone on the board that you can find a picture on, you know, on Google. Um, Don't just put the voting on autopilot. You know what? Maybe that is the best takeaway <laughs> to take from this. I certainly do. I, I certainly just put it on autopilot. I think I'm going to look a little bit closer now at the board of directors from now on. Which is, you know, I think the bigger takeaway for this, like you said, Mark, is is corporate governance and who is running a company is as important as the business itself. Lululemon's got a great niche, has a great business, very profitable business when you consider they're selling yoga clothing, mm-hmm. apparel producer. Um, but you still got stuff like this that comes up, and it kind of changes your investment thesis. I think it makes investors a little more hesitant of a company like this when you see stories like this. Absolutely. Keep an eye out there for Rhoda Pitcher. If you get any news on her, email us at radio at fool.com. Simon Erickson, thanks for being here, man. Hey, thanks, Mark. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reith. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.